You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. And it, I, I'm telling you, I got, I had, I grew fucking balls, man. Like working the bands that I worked with and with the people that I worked with, you had to like, so Siobhan, you asked me about like being a woman in the industry and shit. You just like, you just fucking go. You don't think about it. You just do what you got to do and go. doesn't matter if I, you know, have a vagina or not. It's like, I just got to get what I got to get done. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name's Corey Peza here as always with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. What up? <laughs> we, I think we might have lost Ben. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, we've had a range of substances ingested uh, throughout the last few episodes and, and Ben's just on a new one that's, I'm not going to lie, I, I kind of dig it. It's keeping him quiet. But <laughs> we're, <Okay>. this episode... <laughs> Brought to you by Lost Symphony, as always. Um, we actually get the and chance. Pfizer. We're back. Yes, <laughs> we're back for part two uh, with uh, our wonderful publicist for Lost Symphony and and other bands that you may have heard of, um, Maria Ferrero, and more great stories. She's yeah, the matriarch all- of music, man. And like, you got to check awesome. out the YouTube cast, too. Also, I want to say and subscribe to 2020-d.com. So many great images and like photos and a lot of great like visual material in these episodes. So don't miss out on it for sure. And subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and you've just been 2020 by myself and my cohorts in crime, Siobhan Cronin and Corey Peza. Ladies and gentlemen, give them a golf clap in your wherever you're listening or watching. And this week we have, honestly, one of my favorite people on the planet. We've been working with her with our band Lost Symphony. She's literally a matriarch of metal. In fact, she yeah. has the moniker that has been bestowed upon her by one of the godfathers of metal himself, Mr. James Hetfield of a band called Metallica. Um, and she is Metal Maria Ferrero of Adrenaline yeah. PR, but also the reason why uh, my mixtapes when I was growing up exist. So hi, Maria. Hey. Hey, everybody. Keep it. Metal. <laughs> one thing I wanted to say that we, as Ben was like giving you all these compliments at the end of part one, which by the way, anyone listening, go check it out. You've got to listen to part one. So many great stories, but I have to give you a lot of props for being a woman in the industry because I know what it feels like now in the 2020s, let's say to be a girl that plays in the world of metal. And it had to have been crazy when you were like, just getting into it in like the eighties and nineties, like, like yeah, oh, women on that. Like- no, I'm going to take my Klonopin. <laughs> We were, we were looked at differently and, and it was normal. So it really didn't, it didn't phase me. You know, like you saw Motley Crue and, and how they behaved. And that was just, oh, that's Motley Crue and that's how it is. And then look at, look at modern day, like look at Marilyn Manson. I'll compare like 
to me, it's the same thing. You know, why was it okay then? And it wasn't okay now. Mm-hmm. You know, for well, so it was rock and roll then, mm-hmm. but now it's just statutory rape. But why was it rock and roll then? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. It was not a thing. I'm saying that that's the difference between cancel culture and Rolling Stone in 1981. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, but yep, being a woman in the industry, here I am. <laughs> well, how do you feel about head. it? You are a woman in the industry, so why don't you just tell us how you feel? Because I yeah, feel like I'm, if there's honestly, anyone that has a right to talk about it, it's you. Yeah, a lot of people might not like my opinion, and I'm sorry. But, but you're a woman, so like yeah. you, you're there. So tell us how you feel as a woman watching this. I, I honestly feel that maybe women put themselves into bad situations sometimes and uh, can't get out of it. And I feel like some of the women that went... Uh, along with Marilyn Manson, like dated him and he was all bad and weird. Like, why did they go along with it? Why didn't they get out right away? Or why didn't they report something right away? And I, I, it bothers me that that happens, that women let it happen and, or, and, and go along with it and then later say something. It's like, but, but why didn't you just deal with it when it was going on? It, it bothers me. I'm sorry. That's my opinion. Um, when it comes to Manson, and I also feel like all the managers and labels that made money off him that like dropped him, um, return the money that you made off him. If, if he's no good, like give the money back, you know? And, and that's how I feel, you know, that's how I feel about, you know, chef, uh, Mario Batali, right. You know, he had the same situation happen. Um, it's like all these people, these businesses, they make money off these people and that's okay. No, it's not, you know, or take that money and, and, and invest it into, you know, women's shelters or helping women to be able to stand up and and defend themselves a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess, first off, if there's anything I've learned from extreme, there's three sides to every story. So that's one. Yeah. Um, and two, I, I got to say that, you know, look, it's a slippery slope because there's one side which is fucking creepy men but that's every uh, that's everyone and everywhere and that's been since the dawn of time but two when you are i guess a guy like marilyn manson who proclaims like all the crazy stuff that he always has and like listen when i was younger i used to hear stuff like he removed his ribs so he could suck his dick and that he like carved him i i, I know he carved himself on stage i've seen him bleed he's thrown up he's done all kind of like he's D did that stuff. So I yeah. guess like if it walks like a duck and quacks yes. like a duck, yes. I mean, I guess at what point do you yeah. say, I shouldn't drink this absinthe? Right. No, don't hang with Manson if, you, if you're not into like freaky shit. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, but, but no means no, you right. know, no yeah. means no still. And and I totally get and respect that 110%, million percent. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird. You know, even like I'll throw Mike Tyson into that whole thing, which... You know, he went to jail for all that. And it's like, girl, you were naked in his hotel room. Why did you put yourself there? Why did you, you know, do that? And no means no. So it's it's just really rough. Sorry to go off on some weird tangents. No, but you're saying, like, don't walk around the, you know, the Bronx in the middle of the night with, like, a giant, you know, members-only jacket and a bunch of $100 bills sticking out of the back of your pocket. Well, all right, but that, but getting away from that, that wasn't even necessarily what I was <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Siobhan's the pacifist. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that, but what I was actually interested in hearing is what it, what it feels like to be, or maybe early on, what it felt like to be a woman working in the industry and, you know, just in terms of, like, having your opinion respected or what yeah. it in a world of dudes, you know, like it's, it's an interesting it person. 
Yeah, was it something to think about, though? It just was like, I'm in the room. I have a voice. I have something to say. I'm going to say it. And people listened. And, and that's just what it was. I really, thankfully, was never in a position where I was looked down on or felt like I was looked down upon because I was a woman or that my opinion didn't matter or that I couldn't help a situation. You know, I was always part of a team of the right people. And that's maybe great. that's the advice to align yourself with the right people. And if you're in situations that don't feel good, just get out of that. You know, I have, a, I have an important yeah. question because this alludes back to something you said on the, on the last episode is we had asked you about Metallica and why they haven't remixed, you know, and justice for all an absolute masterpiece. And you texted one Kirk Hammett. Do you <laughs> think that you have the power as an influential woman, a matriarch of metal, as dubbed dubbed Metal Maria by James Hetfield himself, don't you think that you should get Injustice for All remastered on behalf of all Metallica fans everywhere? And not just remastered, but remixed, where you get James... I say no, Benny. Leave it as is. We gotta move forward. What are they gonna make next? Metallica's Kill Em All. Unforgiven 4. (laughs) <laughs> but but when when Kill 'em All came out, it sounded so garage and rough. It still does. Should that be redone? That's a good no, point. They're they're a snapshot in time, and that's that's kind yeah. of the, that's what they uh, they always use. A lot of, I'm, a lot I'm of just artists joking do for the sake of archivists, because you yeah. know, back yeah. then when I was younger and cared about these things, I want. I feel like if I heard bass in Injustice for All now, I'd find it disconcerting. Well, like, if, you wanna, you if, you, if you want to, if you do want to get this. your fix, you can listen to "Injustice for Jason," which is on yeah. YouTube, where someone played the bass that How should have been yeah, there. It's fake because you can't not, get bass out of nothing. Well, it's not fake. It's 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 what the tab said. They didn't lie. They say they overdubbed the bass, but you get to hear the songs what they would sound like with bass. It's very nice. <laughs> but um, what I would like to kind of take a moment and, and you know, I don't want to let your expertise and your experience go to waste. Um, we definitely need more stories, but. I want to hear your um, views and opinions on the music industry as it stands in 2021. Uh, you're kind of in the trenches out there. You're you're you represent a lot coming of great- out of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, g- can you give us like you know maybe pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic kind yeah, of what your pre-pandemic was spinning like yeah orbiting just flying bands touring records coming out magazines engaging people you know really interested and things felt really moving um the pandemic just slapped down squashed done and just cranking it it's it seems like so hard to get people interested in things um getting responses from people and a lot of it is because personally for what a year plus homeschooling families people getting sick people afraid people mentally melting down like you know in a box forever you know not being able to leave your house see family see friends or whatever um yeah it's been hard um the industry as a whole though it's incredible it's changed so much and i feel that the best thing to do is create your own situations just take charge take control put together the right teams be flexible um flexible to change gears immediately on planning decisions. Um, I think right now I'm still wondering about COVID and if it is safe for concerts and stuff, Um, even with the vaccines, I definitely got the vaccine, didn't want to, but got it. And um, I still don't know if I'm safe. 
Yeah. So I think coming out of COVID, it's 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 tough. Bands are touring. You know, we're busier now with bands that are touring. You know, I think that's the most important thing to be active because then people are going to care more. Magazines are going to cover you. Journalists are going to care. Spreading the word. Uh, radio stations. I don't really even know what's going on in that world yeah. at all. Um, but touring, it's key being active and getting fans to engage again and get back to normal. It's really important. Is that why Ingve Malmsteen responds to a bunch of people online now? Because I find this weird because now I'm seeing all these strange kind of, I don't want to say death throngs, but like these people that are in these legacy elements. And I, I love Ingve Malmsteen, all right? Because I love him. And like, I think that neoclassical music is cool, but like he's kind of become a little bit of a cliche of himself. And I first off noticed that on his, on his YouTube, on his YouTube um, they've shut off all of the thumbs down. You can't, you can't, and, 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 and all the comments are curated. So only the curated. I don't think it, you can shut off the thumbs down. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> it's literally only good comments. Okay. And like, if you have any thumbs down, it goes away. It just does. Um, and on, on Facebook, I've noticed that he, like out of nowhere, he po- first off, his response to everything is just pick up a guitar. I hope I inspired you to play a guitar. But he writes thumbs up to people who are like, I'm coming to this gig. And all I'm like, is this what Ingve has to do now is go on his phone while he's in his Ferrari taking a crap <laughs> and just literally go on to Instagram or Facebook and just respond like, oh, be at the VIP for $400. <laughs> Is that what you have so, to do now, like in the music industry, when Ingve back in the day used to show up with this like a smoke machine and have a singer come out and be like, "It's Ingve fucking Malmsteen," and then get punched in the face. Anyways, so it went. It went. I'm it was saying going that he nowhere. has to go online, and instead of actually fucking, you know, getting anybody else involved, he goes and personally responds to people and curates his own fucking shit. We'll like, take to try that. To get we'll take to that statement VIP. and say. Maria, like as far as engagement goes <laughs> with your with your artists, um, what do you what do you see now that's you know maybe the most successful? And, and you can go back five years, but what's like the most successful way you've seen your artists and and maybe up and coming artists build and connect with their audience? Be consistent with social media, you know, and really active. And I know it's it might sound like you know street team marketing one hundred and one, but like literally. The bands that you want to like tour with, if you're a smaller band, you know, if you want to tour with Metallica, who follows Metallica? Go make friends with all of their followers. Say, hey, check out my band. And how exciting for like a fan to just get a message from a band member, like, you know, to check them out. You know, I just feel like really engaging with fans directly. And while people are sitting around doing not much, that's that's a cool thing to do. Yeah. I keep you know, telling Siobhan if she DMs anybody on Instagram that they'll come on our show because they'll she can just be like, I'm the violinist in Star Set and I'm talented and I'm a girl and I'm pretty. Come on our show. And she thinks that that's not a thing, but it's a thing. You're right. But what I, I mean, I think Maria's right, though, that engagement, I mean, you know, ultimately interacting with the people that support you is what's most important, whether it's getting out on stage or, com- you know, engaging with them online or something. I mean, that's what people want you know they want to have some sort of connection to you or some sort of interaction and that's what keeps them coming back and yeah, they're connected to your music or like that's the first thing and and you know but it's the opposite if they're not a fan right so get them to connect with your music right absolutely oh, no, you know, awesome. and on on your end uh you know aside pandemic aside like what is your you know kind of day-to-day operation 
with adrenaline? Like what, well, what do you yeah, see as your I, responsibility and, and how do you execute it? You know, if we're working a project, if it's, you know, whatever kind of a campaign, if it's just a press release, coordinating details, um, you know, making sure everything's approved and right. If it's a full campaign, it's basically constantly pitching, um, you know, all kinds of angles, different stories um, based on different, you know, based on interests, not even just your music, just across over into, you know, cross marketing to say if, you know, Benny is a knitter, he, he knits, he's a master knitter. I'm going to find the, the magazines that. Does his knit <laughs> <and> crochet? <laughs> oh my God. He did not do that. He did not cat. do that though. Right, I'm going to find the crochet magazines and I'm going to. And just, just so you know, this is, this cat is in Gates to Babylon and the new Power Man video from David Abruzzese. I love the green eyes. I love everything about Velvel. I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue. Seriously. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, you know, just dealing with everything that comes in the 500 fucking emails a minute, um, coordinating campaigns, press releases, dealing with personalities. Um, yeah. Squashing things sometimes like, no, you're not ready yet. Um, just navigating, uh, paying bills, getting paid. That's what I do. <laughs> Let me ask you a question because we, we kind of skipped over a big chunk of your career from, you know, we jumped to some stories, but you know, what were maybe some key moments or, you know, how did you learn how to be a good publicist? Like, you know, if you didn't go to school for like, what, what are some things in your life that, that helped you understand the business? I'm just curious. Oh, you got so your I, was that, I was that suburban kid reading magazines. It meant a lot to me to read about my artists. So now I'm on the other side, I get to push the artists to be represented in the magazine. I care about the artists. I care about the fans. I'm a fan. Um, so I just want to see it all through and make it happen and, and go and grow and, and do more and bigger and make a difference and, and, and keep going. You know, do you feel like you could make a difference in music? Cause I feel like in everything, like when they're like, go vote or do this I, or I, that. I, and I feel, I, I feel horrible. Cause like inside my soul, I'm like, I'm supposed to do this and everything on television. It's like rock the vote. P Diddy told me to, but then meanwhile, like with music, I feel like you did change it. And I, I now feel like Metallica, like, should tip their hat to you and that Kirk should be texting you back by now because yeah, what the shame fuck? on him. <laughs> like, does he know who he's fucking talking Nothing. to? Nothing. <laughs> he, maybe he lost his phone again and there goes their next Metallica record. Do you know what happened? I, I would love to know. He was riding his bike oh and he God. lost his phone. But he doesn't like, have like a cloud. He doesn't have like iCloud. I mean, I have a in galaxy. Oahu. In Oahu, just riding his bike. So somewhere in Oahu, there's the uh, the unreleased Metallica. That, that's the name of the next record, the unreleased. Yeah. <laughs> and they can they can ride that for another at least three records. And I'm losing track here. What are I we just think it's about? hilarious because I think Kirk Hammett should totally write you back. And what is his? What does he text like? What is a text from Kirk like? Is he is he one of those guys? Because like when Nuno texts me, the syntax is perfect. And then he uh, he writes like a poem, like it's iambic pentameter, and like there's the proper amount of returns used. It's me asking him if he'll come to Hawaii to play guitar at Marsha's spreading of her ashes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, but he said he he That's if he's around, he would. It's hard to say where I'll be at that point, but if I'm around, we will meet. Cool. Wow, that is always an angel. <laughs> what else? I got a lot of pictures. Him saying yum to all my pics. <laughs> <laughs> Can you send me I, that food? I, I, I like it. 
I like it to my my the pattern. <laughs> it's like you know. It. Well, I mean, Kirk Hammond. It, we all know his style's outrageous. So obviously, he probably Capizio, yeah. Capizio, Benny. If I was if I was metallic, if Benny, I was Kirk, yes. Benny, Benny, yes. Capizio. What does this mean to you? It, well, first off, it sounds like it's a salad. <laughs> no. That's and maybe I should put capers on it. No. Kirk Hammett and Capizio. Do you remember he would wear the white Capizios? They're shoes. <laughs> shoes. Oh, the shoes. Okay, I know exactly what that looks like. I just didn't know that's the name for them. Yeah, well, you mentioned his style, so we're gonna start. No, I love his style because he he really is like a total square man. one. Kirk shows up in motherfucking white capizios. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's so, is that when they, they also did the Metallicats because of like that whole thing too, which I thought was hilarious. It started with the capizios. Well, I see. I saw him wear those for a long time. He's crazy. His style is awesome. Yeah. Like, so I, for, if I was first off, if I was Kirk Hammett, I would get like ESP cases done on Louis Vuitton because fuck you, everybody, because I'm Kirk Hammett. Yeah. I would do that. I would literally do everything that he's doing is exactly what I'd do. I'd develop some weird style. I'd have crazy jewelry, as you can see. Like I'm you friends do with have weird style, and you yeah, do wear yeah, weird. Yeah, I do now, and you know what? I I became friends with Shannon Larkin from Godsmack, and he sends me all these crazy like jewelry he has custom made, and I'm like, I don't need those biker rings, but like. I think maybe I do. I love skulls. Yeah. <laughs> Sell me one of those. I know. I'll, I'll let them know. I'm selling <laughs> it to Metal Maria. Don't be mad at me. So getting back to Metal Maria. So it, we, we kind of jumped around like <laughs> before, but in our other episode, you kind of gave us the intro and then like a whole bunch of stories. I want to go back to when you first moved to California because you were telling us stories about meeting Megadeth when they first got started. I want to hear what happened after you hopped on the plane, went to California. <laughs> okay. So I got there, my friend ends up, she's doing bad drugs. David Ellison and Mustaine say, come live with me. I was selling glow-in-the-dark keychains on the phone, telemarketing. That was my job. So every day I'd get up at like six something in the morning. Those guys were passed out. I'd get up, I'd go to work, I'd do my phone calls. Get What's the pitch? Hold on. Slow that down, Maria, please. You called up and you were trying to sell glow in the, this is in the 80s. So obviously technology was different. People... And time was slower. So there were people that actually responded to somebody randomly calling them and saying, oh, yeah. do you want to buy? With us, so how, on, how did the call go? So let's, let's, let's just do a call. Hello. Hi, Hi this is Maria. Um, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Maria? Excellent. Um, I've got these glow in the dark keychains that we could create for you with your business. We could put your logo on it. Would you be interested? They're really cheap. <laughs> wow. You could put my logo on something that glows in the dark. I am sold. Oh, my God. I need a keychain for my Chrysler LeBaron. Yeah. But anyway, I did well. And my, my boss would say, Maria, you could sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. So I did really good. I think I was making like 700, 800 bucks a week in 1983 at 17. Wow. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was good. So, but it was weird. Like I remember walking to work one morning and a homeless guy had this like a dumpster, like he was pushing a dumpster and he was like, Hey babe, want to ride? It scared me. You know, I was a kid. Like, yeah. So that was, that was that. And like the guys in Megadeth, um, it was Junior Ellison, yeah. uh, Mustaine and God, Greg Handavid, uh, was the other guitar player, kid from Minnesota, one of uh, Ellison's friends. And then some other kids, these two kids, I just don't remember their name, but they all had a van. I 
And we would travel from the apartment in the van to the Troubadour and go to shows and shit. And like people like David Lee Roth would be hanging out at the Troubadour, just like drinking, you know, sitting right there and you could walk up to him or Jakey Lee. Um, like just that whole era was crazy. Uh, Nikki Six, one day I ran into him leaving the Troubadour. And during that time, um, Motley Crue, you never saw them without makeup. And he was out without makeup and I knew it was him. He was carrying his journal, it said Crew. And I have the photo someplace, I'm gonna find it. I haven't. But it's Nikki holding the, the thing up so you can only see like basically from the bottom of his nose up. And it was just wild, you know, like crazy days, just hanging out, wild fucking Hollywood scene, a real scene. Like, and New York had a real scene too. It's, it's totally feeling a bit different um, these days in music, the scene. There, there's a good scene. It's just not the same. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. You know, like people know each other and, you know, the bands, everybody engages and tours together and supports each other. And that's a good scene. But I don't know. It, it seems like the local scene is lacking, you know? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's something that, that uh, I never really got to experience. The, uh, the <laughs> scene, what, for what you can call it, around Boston, Providence, when I started playing in bands 15 something years ago was kind of like on the tail end. So like the, my mm. first few shows when I was like, we had the X's on my hand because I was 13 in a bar with everyone was smoking. I'm like, this is amazing. There's a million people here. My crappy band opened the night. And then, you know, three or four years later when I suck a lot less, I go to the same bar and there's eight people sitting at the bar and well, no one cares. Well, it's funny you say that, Corey, because I mean, I know I'm only a few years older than Corey, but I, I guess I'm lucky enough because I, I was at the end of Analog and I was at the end of like what was a boom in Boston because you had bands like Godsmack and Stained and Killswitch Engage and Shadows Fall and like Power Man 5000, uh, Rob Zombies from Haverhill himself. Um, you know, like there's a lot, so much stuff was coming out of Boston. And um, I was in a band called Carve and we got big on WSOU, which was big in New Jersey. And they fucking... Dude, when we went out to Jersey, we played to 500 people in like a Ouch. gym. And I remember um, you could go to Jared's place, which is a place where I know Corey had his first awesome guitar destroyed in front of his face, um, which is what you need to do if you want to be crowned into heavy metal is watch someone else destroy your guitar on stage because that's metal. <laughs> I guess um, I'm metal then. But I remember on any Friday or Thursday night, you could go and there were always good bands. There were always good bands and people would always be there just because they wanted to drink, hang out and watch music because you didn't have smartphones. Um, there wasn't like UFC on every fucking day or something to distract you. You're like Thursday night, metal night. I go down there and I'm going to see bands. And I remember when we did Loco Bazooka, which was this huge giant festival that there were 25,000 people there the first few years that we did it. It was fucking crazy. And I remember looking out and it looked like one of those deep purple photos from like back in the day, like the MK3 era. And you're like, holy shit, this is what it feels like. And then five years later, you're playing a side stage. There's Bumblefoot. He's playing to 147 people. Alice Cooper's on another stage. It's a half-filled arena. And you're like... You got Dio with Sabbath and it's only like three quarters filled and there's just promoters walking around like, what the fuck? I, there's, Ronnie is playing with Tony Iommi. What the hell's going on? And that's when I knew the music industry was going up to fucking flames. The, the gist, though, is, uh, you know, now, because obviously it's not the 80s anymore and, and that scene doesn't exist. Maria, how do you how do you tackle that for your artists? Like, how do you? Yeah, it's it's a new scene and more is on the artist and you guys yeah. really have to get socially active. You know, touring 
or being social or both. Yeah. I wish we could tour. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, social media is hard enough. But but seriously, why are you guys not touring? We've never been in the same room, Maria. I know. So why not put it together? Money. I think it's no. I think it's possible. But yeah, logistically, it is. Uh, you know, I am a DJ. We could totally show. just DJ the background tracks and then just get like Joey Concepcion, who's like a goddamn tape recorder, just to you like know, spit I, out every uh, riff. Welcome to Rockville. Um, maybe Hellfest in France. Like, why not? Help. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause we'd love to do all yeah. those things. We're just not that smart, Maria. Like we're oh. smart in that we made a podcast and I'm doing the neurotic guitar. So like actually tomorrow morning, I'm going to New Jersey to see, uh, Les Paul's estate because apparently, um, there's a bunch of guitars and music and his mm -hmm. first eight track recorders and Paul Reed Smith has even agreed. Yep. And before we get too there. far off topic, we'll I know again, with... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'll, you'll lose me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the Terrapin Station train, so 16 minutes of craziness and waiting for everybody at Shakedown Street. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so the, clearly the importance of like being social and engaging with the audience is is huge, which I think now that we have our, our latest uh, single, Taking Out the Piece, has actually brought in for the first time, I think, an audience that didn't, you know, we didn't hear about us directly from us Posting, a little you know, conflagration. Yeah, no, creating your best content, right? Having a team push it and everybody just stay stay focused. And, you know, what's the next goal? And you guys have nailed so many things. And the Slay at Home was really just a good, good, good hit for you guys on top sure. of everything. So, yeah. Those were fun because I was working on those anyway because they were all like manic last minute. So poor Corey has like gray hairs named after every one of those videos. But I was like, oh, well, I was already doing this Skid Row mashup. So fuck you guys. I guess we got to do it for real now. And um, the biggest compliment I feel like we've learned from Slay at Home is that people don't know what electric violin sounds like in metal at all because they're I like, I don't hear it. And we're playing Van Halen and she's a whole channel coming out the right, the right ear, but they think it's a, a phaser guitar but it's her it's great <laughs> it's cool I, I it's like fun for me to be a violinist that's like somewhat in the metal scene because it is like kind of uncharted territory like people just don't even know what it elevates it elevates the music just and you're not the wife of a singer that's what most people would think you are they judge you you could be like no i actually play in the band and they're like what <laughs> and you're not the singer you're like no i play violin and they're like what yeah elevation <laughs> elevation Okay, so Maria, what was the end of your glow-in-the-dark keychain story? Oh, yeah. God. So, yeah, just, you know, that was it. That was my job, and, and I, that's how I made money. And, you know, I, I lived with the guys, and we would go out to clubs and just see every metal show, and there was one every night, you know? Did you see them with your glow-in-the-dark keychain? No, but I want to know, what, like, how did that job end? What was the next? Oh, I just, I called my dad. I After how many months? I was out there three months. I called my dad. I said, I want to come home. I just quit my job and went home. I just, I was 17. Hollywood was not for me. I didn't want to be a, a glow in the dark keychain salesperson. <laughs> I missed Megaforce Records. I missed Johnny and Marsha. I missed my dog. And I was like, can you buy me a ticket home? My father said, of course. He said, but I really wish you would have made me buy you a, a round trip ticket. It would have been cheaper. I remember that comment. And uh, that was it. So I came home, went right back to Megaforce. And it was it was good for me, I think, to go away and come back. And I had that connection still because I was living with, you know, 
Metallica's ex-guitar player. You know, and so do you say? Is it true that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Of course. Anyways, <laughs> God, yeah, no, it was just you know time to move on. Came home, did that, and you know time went on. The whole Metallica, they left. Anthrax was our focus. Um, we managed them, and it was all about blowing them up. And boy, did we! Uh, fuck, John and Marsha killed it. Anthrax deals. We okay. So the very end of the Megaforce Metallica unity was a show at the Roseland Ballroom. It was Metallica, Raven, and Anthrax. And we managed all three bands. And that night we signed Metallica to Electra, Anthrax to Island, and Raven to Atlantic. And the next day, uh, Cliff Bernstein and Lars Ulrich had a meeting and they said, you know, we're going to be your new manager, fire Johnny. So Johnny signed them to a new label, no longer on Megaforce, and now they lost them as management. So Anthrax became like everything. And then, you know, the next level, I said how Testament was like, got to have them, got to have my band. They were the big five. To me, Testament was even better than Metallica. Way better because they had Chuck Billy singing. James's vocal style People kind of made fun of him. He wasn't that amazing. Um, honestly, you know, the first... Maybe I'm amazed. Ah. <laughs> honestly, yeah. So, whatevs. That's that. So, what, you've gone from publicist, without even realizing you were a publicist, essentially. Just like, oh, I'm making these calls now. I'm a publicist. Mm-hmm. To managing Testament. Like, how the hell did that... Like, that cr- like when did um you get to the point where you're like... I'm going to manage a band. Like what did that it was take? a joke? We, we all were sitting so, around. But, but, so that was the first time it ever came up. Ever. Even, okay. But then Ozzy was like bark at the moon. So the, it was a joke. So we went with it and it, it really went. And they, like I said, every good booking agent took them on yeah. best tours they could get. They blew up good records. It happened. It was. And good. so prior to that, just publicist was your moniker as far that as. Was it. Yeah, from, from Megaforce. I was there for 13 years, went to TVT Records. Actually, I did product management for KMFDM at TVT Records for three years. Uh, while I did publicity, Seven Dust as well. And uh, that was fun. Yeah. I love Seven Dust. And then I got married. And my husband died seven months after we got married of a heart attack. Go ahead, Benny. Give me a joke. I know a joke's coming. No, I, that's well, not I- funny. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> so that happened and I realized life is short and I want to be a chef. So I left the music business, went to cooking school, became a chef, and I did it pretty big. I worked at a four-star French restaurant in New York and I trained in Berkeley, California, Chez Panisse, all organic, farm to table, Chef Alice Waters, like icon, look her up. And then I went back to New York City after my thing at Chez Panisse in Cali and my second night at work at a French Japanese restaurant called Bond Street, I got hit by a truck crossing the street. What the broke, fuck? Yeah, broke my hip, herniated discs in my back, like crazy shit. My head split open. It was so bad. And uh, so I went back to music. <laughs> like I, I did Is that make- the universe. Hold on, wait. Was that the universe literally hitting you with the truck saying maybe yeah. it's time to yeah. st- step away from the umami and get yeah. back to the metal? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Drop the sushi knife, 
No, but that's crazy. That's really crazy. So what? First off, I clawed my I way back. My, but but I tip my hat to you, but for saying you know later in life that you've already established yourself, you've already done like a lot of really pivotal things that like nobody can deny at this point. And you're like, you know what? Uh, and, and and listen. I make fun of a lot of things, but like I don't find I didn't find the, any humor in that because it probably has to be a hurtful thing to be married to somebody. So for that, I hope that like if anything that it, it changed you and that when you took that time to again, that's oh. wonderful. That's you guys look beautiful. Oh my god, uh, that that's really a beautiful picture. Now you're gonna make me cry. So thanks, congratulations, <laughs> Maria Ferrero. Ugh. You are such a badass. I love that you. You just- really are. Like now, I'm just like, uh, but he made you want to cook. So for oh, that, oh, I'm, let, I'm, let, I'm, let 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 Siobhan go. No, no, it's okay. I mean, I was I was just dovetailing on that. Yeah. Like, good for you for just like going with your gut and like doing something. You know, like you definitely. Oh. God, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna talk. <laughs> I'm gonna get a tattoo of a chef on my fucking arm too. <laughs> but wait for the universe to say, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time. And so they're like, oh, we'll just hit you with a fucking truck. And instead of doing Angel Sun, you're back to managing Seven Dust. That's the mighty demo pile at Megaforce. You see that pile? Uh, it's a little out of focus, but it's <laughs> pull it the back pile a little on bit. the floor. Oh yeah, yeah. Can... Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's some old school shit right there. The demo pile. Okay. I'm Where waiting. Testament's demo came to life. That's crazy. And That's crazy. And then I signed ministry to management too. That was pretty cool. 1990 to 1996. Um, and I was Al's publicist, ministry's publicist. They were on the cover of every fucking magazine. And it was boom. It was so good. They toured Lollapalooza and it just fucking blew up. It was so great. I remember that one of the one of the only requests of was it Stanley Kubrick when he had Steven Spielberg direct that crazy movie AI was uh-huh. that you have to put ministry in that movie. Uh-huh. You have to put ministry in that movie. And I'm like, really? Stanley Kubrick, Mr. You know, keep your eyes open, clockwork orange shit. That's that's right. your last request? Put ministry. But you know what? Ministry definitely makes you feel a certain way. I think Steven Spielberg didn't necessarily do Kubrick a total solid, but I think that Ministry was awesome in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I would like smoke crack in interviews, and then at the oh yeah, it was rough. Yeah, like Spin Magazine, Rolling Stone, all the biggest magazines that he would he would smoke crack, and then Maria make sure they don't write about it. Oh God, my God, that sounds very Lemmy thing to do. And it, I, I'm telling you, I got, I had, I grew fucking balls, man. Like working the bands that I worked with and with the people that I worked with, you had to like, so Siobhan, you asked me about like being a woman in the industry and shit. You just like, you just fucking go. You don't think about it. You just do what you got to do and go. doesn't matter if I, you know, have a vagina or not. It's like, I just got to get what I got to get done. Right. Was there, and I don't know if you can talk about any of this, but were there any like crazy, like damage control things that you had to do in terms of- Yeah, like I said right there, or or like, you know, the opening of Lollapalooza, Al Jorgensen pulling the fucking fire alarm in the hotel and like everybody having to get up at like three in the morning and we're half naked, like running out the, the, the fire alarms going off and then you have to deal with that kind of shit. Yeah, well, you have to have such a vision, I'm sure, for the people that you work with and understanding what's best for them because you've got, you know, the publicity mind of like what is going to help this band be the. I I was contacted by a person, an artist, just last night. Um, I'm definitely not going to name who it is. You could probably figure it out. They've had some like women stuff, like beating women stuff, and uh, you know, Trump supporting shit, 
and like fucking conspiracy theorists and shit. And I was like, Ugh. and it's some, it's not even somebody that I have a good personal relationship with, but okay, well, if I can help, let me help. So like right on the call, I went right in and I said, okay, you have a mess to clean up. This isn't about your live stream or your shows coming up. You actually have a lot of shit to clean up. And I think right now is not a good time. Like you should go away for a year, go do some good work, you know, volunteer, uh, you know, fucking go speak in a boy's home, uh, military shit, metal community service, whatever the fuck it is. And then it became a desperate, it was like a desperation. Now the artist is calling me and the manager and they're constantly I'm like, guys, really, I'm telling you, this is what you should do. Just go away. I got an email today um, thanking me. They said, you know, thanks. We're actually going to give this a break right now. This is not a good time. And I'm like, right on. Go fucking, you want people to change what they say about you? Change what you're doing. Yeah. One thing that Siobhan said a little while ago is having like the, the publicity brain. Um, is there something, you know, your job is, is constant problem solving, I assume. Uh, and, and kind of, and you know, as things come up and, and not, not just in bad ways, but oh, problem, problem solving. solving is getting it done. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so how do you, do you think that that's something you, you care and you try? That's a success. I fucking feel amazing every night putting my head on the pillow because I know I did absolutely everything I possibly could do. I don't even leave my desk without checking every email, answering everything, handling even fucking throwing shit in schedules or reports, like get it out of my way. Like, yeah, no, everything, getting calls into the people, you know, I don't take no for an answer. You know, sometimes it might be no for now. It's no for now. It is not no. No, uh, no it's just a segue to yes. <laughs> yeah. I like that. No They're either now. closing you on no or you're closing them on yes. And Maria, this is why we have you working with Adrenaline PR for Lost Symphony, our band, which we haven't even talked about. So like how do, when, when, by the way, I just want to say that I know that this has been an uphill battle for you guys because we play in one of the most unmarketable bands in the history <laughs> no, I, I of, of heavy metal. Well, I, I mean, listen, near, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Everything, every element. You have every element. It's perfect. Well, I'm glad you think so. My you mom thinks so tour. too. You got to get on tour. Um, that's really my opinion. You got to get out there and play. Scott, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, He's I mean good. that's that's obviously you know since we started this it, it's always been like wow I wonder if we could ever tour. How do you see this. that but, happening? But the, yeah, exactly. It? the The issue being is what about even a live stream? You know. Yeah, it would be. A, it would be. I, I'm just thinking of how that would somehow become my responsibility. <laughs> we have we have Jim too. That's good. No, yeah, but come all. You know, it's it, we have the core band, but because we're we're so guest centric on, on a lot of the tracks, I think that that would be a it would have to be a very well thought out plan for whether but it's a live stream. We have guitar stream. players that are good enough that could absolutely sure. If we play but I'm the saying songs. that it would take a lot of prep. Prep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But some figure, of those guys are so good that we really just we just have to be better. Just not yeah. Like, dude, if we said Joey, like Joey learned, this is a true story. So Joey Concepcion, um, who plays on our record, um, he came down a long time ago to, with Ollie Herbert here and a guy named Matt LaPierre, and he just absolutely shredded my face off. And he was like, dude, I don't think like anyone's going to like my playing. And I'm like, oh, no, they're, they're definitely going to like your playing, man. You know, you know, like Back to the Future. Like, this is the music you've been looking for. Um, and then I found out a few years later that he was called like at a last minute basis to replace 
Jeff Loomis because Jeff had some family stuff he had to take care of at the Whack and Open Air Festival for Arch Enemy. And I went and watched the set and the kid does not miss a single note from Jeff Loomis, who's the dude that like climbed Mount Everest and can play Jason Becker note for note while staring at a camera. And this kid didn't miss anything. And he was like literally two years before telling me how he didn't think he was good enough to even play on Lost Symphony. And like here he is playing uh, with Jeff, for Jeff Loomis and actually brought Jeff Loomis to Lost Symphony because he was with him in Belgium. And he was like, hey man, have you heard of this Lost Symphony project? And I had actually emailed him four years before like Jeff, hey, dude. And he was like, dude, I shouldn't be doing stuff that like my label doesn't do and all that. And you know, I don't blame him because I would say no, too. But this time he actually came and played with us. And it was one of those things where like Joey like went from being the grasshopper to the dude telling me how to wax on, wax off. And I was such a proud Jewish. Wow. Awesome. That clip, by the way, just changing the subject, that clip of Ollie really God. The uh... totally stops my heart. Well, I will say that there's probably by the time this this is out, we're we're going to be releasing a video that that um oh yeah, I, we, Ollie was a take guy, so there's like a lot of stuff that we you know you people Frankenstein and all that, but Ollie was a guy that like a lot of times like this burst of genius would come out amongst the shit. Not to say that there wasn't shit. Corey can attest to it, and so can Siobhan. But there oh, was we, a we did a lot of the stuff. A lot of the stuff was being worked out in real time, so it's, I yeah, wouldn't call yeah, it yeah. shit. It but was, we got, we got yeah. one of the solos. Um, like we got we had some of the footage of him actually playing. Um, so we made it like a almost like a quarantine video, but with some of the artwork from Boris Grow, like we did with Take Another Piece. But it has Ollie. It has Ollie actually playing the actual song. And the I guess somewhat irony is that the song was originally called My Last Goodbye, and it was for my friend Jimmy who passed away and ollie i asked ollie if he'd play on it and by the time we released it it's now become the song that features ollie kind of like the d at the end of the ozzy osbourne randy Rhodes tribute um we figured we had to put a song so we saved a song and we figured that the song that we wrote as a that i wrote as a tribute to my friend would become the tribute to ollie so that's the next single Lost, that yes. should be out available now it's i believe i believe, yeah. I believe it by the time this comes out it should be Potentially, oh, yeah. or I can tell you yeah. if it's any good. I don't know how it looks yet, but I hope it's good. I'll let you know when I tomorrow started. <laughs> it's gonna be out, but I'm gonna see it tomorrow, right? <laughs> Hopefully tomorrow night. But, we'll no, but see. that clip, honestly, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So check it out, LostSymphony.com. Mm. Right, but yeah, I mean, Lost Symphony. It's it is a big project with a lot of different people. So it's interesting to conceptualize. You know, conceptualize allies. <laughs> formulating a live show out of it. You know, I think that's part of, like you said, that has to be part of your strategy. Like, how do you perform live? You know, how do you go on tour? How do you do all of these Bring things? It to the right? Yeah. Well, first off, one of the great ideas that Dan Beck had was I used to, I was a DJ in another lifetime. Why well, not just DJ like Mike Patton, all the background stuff, like the whole orchestra, and then we can just have the one. Uh, DJ straight. the whole orchestra, so you're cutting me out. No, 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 no. Other than you, you could do the live part, like just like one part that they can clearly see is you. And Siobhan then, Shredder, man. I, and then I can move from part to part, like so I can like hit like the sampler, and we can do enough live stuff, and Corey can be hitting like bass things with his like and doing a lot of different stuff, like me, like Mike Patney, and we'll make it like KMFDM or like Chemical Brothers or all that sort of stuff. Where we're going from like two different stations, and then we get Killer Shredders, Killer Shredders. Oh, we get a God. fucking Killer Shredder like a Jeff. Loomis or a Joey Concepcion or a Hector Hellion who with his owls 
and we'll fucking get those guys on stage and we'll make them play all the parts, dude, and it'll fucking work. And Kelly, obviously, will be a part of it. And, like, we'll beg Paul to play it. If he won't, Shannon Larkin will do it. Fuck it. I, I guarantee no. you he'll show up. That dude was awesome in Wrathchild. Totally. I didn't know. I didn't know. In fact, you want to know what your Motorhead story for you? So Shannon Larkin, I'm telling him how, dude, after Pantera stopped, like metal died for me in my heart. That like my brain stopped encoding. They're like Mastodon. Uh, and I went and had to see them before I was like, they're good. Same with all that I remains. I like Pantera when they were popular. But the point was, is that <laughs> I didn't even know all that remains when all it came down because they were after. So wow. like for me, I'm like, dude, Vinnie Paul was like the goat for me on drums and all this and that. And like, then, you know, Shannon's like, listen, man, Vincent hadn't even heard Ace of fucking Spades. <laughs> he came down and we were with him in Dallas and they opened up for us. And he was like, what was that double bass shit you were fucking doing, man? And I'm like, that was Motorhead. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, he's like, he's like, so let me tell you one thing right now. I, I taught Vincent that style and I didn't know because I've seen him with Godsmack and I know he's great but I hadn't seen him with Rapchild and our drummer Paul Lorenzo who's like an old curmudgeonly guy who's like what do you mean there's bands after 1988 he was like Rapchild I used to watch Headbangers Ball just to see Rapchild and put it up for me and I'm like wait a minute that's Shannon Larkin in like the giant Megadeth style huge Gibraltar rack floating like New York apartment drum set and he fucking ruled it like 19 years old was playing the craziest shit that was as good as anything Anthrax or Metallica or Megadeth so when we had David Abrazese on the show I thought that he was the one learning from David but David in fact saw him in Wrathchild and thought he was awesome before he saw him in Pearl Jam with Lollapalooza wow I learned something and here we are he schooled me he's like Betty here's the deal (laughs) And Vincent. where do we go from here? Uh, uh. <laughs> it all goes down, man. We just go downhill. Where do we go? No, we. Uh, I, I. I guess you know, with with the whatever. Ooh, Siobhan just disappeared into. A, oh, did I just? Dis- can you a, guys hear me? You're a glitching. You look like an old like uh, Atari game right now. I see right now, we created happy little trees. Yeah, <laughs> happy little trees. But yeah, Marie. I guess in the, in the last, you know, like seven or eight minutes. Uh, what do you see for the future uh, of, you know, music right now? Like, how, yeah. do, you, how do you think things are going to come back? COVID, get out of the way, please, soon. And, and just get back to releasing music and touring. Like, seriously, you know, I've had, I've seen bands hold off on releasing records, keep pushing it. They still keep pushing it. Um, Cradle of Filth is now coming out the end of October. That was you know, seemingly coming out much sooner. Oh, Richard Shaw told us he'd done like the guitars like three years ago and that because it's taken so long that Danny for uh, Danny filth decides to add like lock and spiel or something every month that it like gets continued. And he's like, all of a sudden he's finding like theremin and, you know, all kinds of strange instruments. And it's just because Danny has time to brood in the studio. He's like, come on, man. There's going to be like a Celtic record by the time that Alex comes out. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Oh God. That's what I, that's all I've been able to extrapolate from my conversations with our British ambassador, Mr. Richard Shaw, who's one of the greatest guitar players that I wasn't aware of again, that I just, I, I tip my hat to that guy because what an amazing player Richard Shaw from Cradle of Filth and I can only imagine what that record's going to sound like I'm dying for it yep but anyway so then and Lamb of God they put their record out last year was supposed to come out in May 
they pushed it one month till June and that was rough. Mm. Best record they ever, ever made. And it, it just came out just at the worst time. So COVID really has to go away because fans need to connect with their bands to, to make it happen. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like there's, there's lots of tour announcements and shows being, you know, every day there's something new. So yeah, we're working Gemini syndrome tour. We have a Tetrarch tour coming up cradle tour, uh, lamb of God, of course, with Megadeth. Um, guys, what do you think about this Ellison stuff? Not what happened. I could give a shit less. What, what yeah. do you mean, like, the band, him and Megadeth, him and Megadeth. Not about what happened. I could care less. I yeah. mean, look, I when I think of Megadeth, I think of David Ellison. So, like, it's just one of those things that, as like a staunch fan, look, I understand. You know, the, it, if it has Dave Mustaine on it, just like Rob Zombie, it sounds like Rob Zombie, or it sounds like Megadeth. You know what I mean? So, no matter what, like, it's easy to discount where they got there. But really, what you know? But all that said, like I don't know when it became rock and roll to fire people because of something that wasn't even illegal and didn't really even happen. And it may be distasteful. And like I'm not here to judge. But like, man, you're talking about stuff with Al from Ministry. And like, look, I know all kinds of crazy stuff that's gone on. Like, it's not a pissing contest in any way. Like, rock and roll is not the most beautiful thing. Okay, but I guess to set a precedent, it's kind of like the same thing as like everyone getting mad about everything in the comedy industry where every comedian is afraid to tour now because there's so much cancel culture that people get mad about one thing and they don't feel the need like they they attack someone's complete career ellison used to want me to cut his hair i used to cut his hair into spikes <laughs> oh god and siobhan you you were asking before like what was it like back then like after glowing the dark keychain work and shit like yeah. Me Megadeth rehearsed in, in um, a storage space. All these bands in LA, they, they rehearsed in storage rooms and uh, man, it was hot as fuck in there and they would be jamming. And just when you mentioned Gar Samuelson before, I remember he would be like drumming um, in the band. You probably the year later, maybe this was 84 because I would travel back and forth, but he, he would smoke cigarettes and, and this long cigarette hanging out of his mouth, big ash. And his arms just like an octopus, like all over the place. But this ash, <laughs> the cigarette would be like standing still as he was just fucking flailing. What a drummer. I would have loved to have seen him play with Alex Skolnick. I remember watching the behind the music for Megadeth. And one of the things that Dave Mustaine says on it, and, and I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing it, but it was like, I saw Gar Samuelson sitting with a cigarette. And it was already down to the nub and he had fallen asleep and it was burning his fingers and he was still sleeping. And I was like, I know this guy is the real deal. Jesus. You know, and like, and I was like, oh, man, I'm like, that sounds rock and roll to me. Like, he's so he's so real deal. He fell asleep with the cigarette in his hand and it's burning through his fingers. He's like, well, fuck it. I'm still going to play drums. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, I mean, Gar Samuelson, yeah. you know, and, and then the fact is you said the same thing when he's flailing his arms. Did you yeah. know him? What was that guy like? He was he was like older. He seemed like uh, he wasn't interested. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was not interested. Interesting. Yeah. You know? So he just he, showed up and played the gig and then it was kind of like, I'm over this. Yeah. That's what it felt like with him. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. He didn't get involved in too many antics, I think, but I think they did a lot of drugs later on. Like, I think. <laughs> as, as you do. 
I feel like Megadeth did a lot of drugs. I feel like he did an Aerosmith amount of amount of drugs. Real bad. And Ellison, he nineteen eighty four. Me and Bobby Gustafson. I remember we went to L.A. um, to hang out with Megadeth. We went to Disney. I have photos of all this shit. And then we went to San Francisco. They had their first show opening for Exodus at the Gabuki Theater. And Ellison was dating Dawn Crosby from um, Detente. Uh, Steve, Ro- uh, come on, what's his name? Ross Robinson's band. And um, she was like, you got to go see this band, Sisters of Mercy. They're playing at the Kabuki the night before Megadeth show. We were like, what the fuck is that? She took us and man, that changed my life. That was another one of those like, you know, hearing Black Sabbath for the first time, seeing a goth band in San Francisco, Sisters of Mercy, fucking 1984. That was wild. <laughs> Wow. It's amazing how vivid the, like so many people we've talked to have these vivid memories of like their first experience of something that was like life changing mm-hmm. when it comes to music, like a show or an album or a song. And it's so cool to hear, you know, like what your first experience, like something that really changed your perspective. What was your first concert, like your first rock or metal concert? I don't know. <laughs> my first concert ever was the Spice Girls with my mom and my grandma. <laughs> um, awesome. But to be honest, yeah, I mean, I, I really did not go see Rocket. I mean, I grew up playing violin and piano, classical music, like very, you know, square childhood. No, not square. Just that was it. That's cool. Yeah. It was, so, I mean, to me, like an exciting concert was going to see the symphony or like some great soloist. And that was like something I really looked forward to. And now, you know, in my career, I'm playing with like such different types of music. And it's so interesting for me to hear the stories of people that grew up loving rock and metal and going to these shows. Cause that's something I did not experience at all growing up. Wow. So it's Elton John with Kirk Hammond and why that was pretty fucking rad. Wow. <laughs> we were backstage talking with Elton. I was freaking out. He was freaking out. We were all freaking out. <laughs> I can only <laughs> imagine. Well, Maria, you're, like a treasure trove of uh of this this rock history here um thank you for for taking the time and hanging with us this has been amazing it's good to actually get to speak with you not through an email cc for once yeah we got a lot more to do guys like honestly guys and gals (laughs) um we do yeah, there's, and you're our metal yeah. ambassador. We have yeah. Steve Wood as our British ambassador, yeah. along with Richard Shaw from Cradle of Filth. He's also because everything that Richard says, be, because of his beautiful accent and because of his eloquent and articulate so nature, shit. it just sounds awesome. I know it could be total horseshit, but it but from him, I believe. <laughs> like if, if a plane was about to crash, I'd want to hear but Richard. That's flying south. Yeah, yes. I'd want to hear Richard Shaw's voice. I'd be like, that's fine. But I would love for you to be our metal ambassador. Because I mean James I Hetfield himself, I mean the uh, the the Godfather of metal. I mean not not Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne's the king, but like but but the Godfather James Hetfield bestowed upon you the name Metal Maria, and you and, and you do. Yeah. I don't want to say you work for us. Like we are lucky lucky enough to have you help us. No, I feel lucky enough to have you guys to work with. Honestly, Wait, yeah, and that's so great, great making us feel. Oh, we we appreciate. It everything you're doing it's great it's only the beginning wait till i know the single's gonna be out after this but like wait till this drops you really think something's gonna happen with this only thing because i mean it moved me when i watched it because i found it because because i had uploaded the clip and i thought Corey had he's like dude it's not uploaded i'm like really so i found it and when i watched it i was like i had goosebumps i was like oh holy shit 
I was because it's also the exact take, and it's just like such magic. And I just chose to put my phone out at that moment because we weren't. We ended up filming towards the end uh, with him a lot, but like at the beginning, especially for that song, which was one of the first songs we did, like that was literally like one of two videos that we just found, and I just happened to have nailed the actual take of the ten million we did. So it was crazy serendipity that we'll be able to put this together the way that Corey is right now. His personality, man, comes right through on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What an awesome guy. Well, it'll be uh it'll be a good video, a good song. Hope He's everyone the checks the it out. The stars align for me and Star set over here. Yes. <laughs> it's true. That's how we met. Awesome. It all comes so, full circle. So Marie, I just want to say first off, thank you so much again for all your help with Lost Symphony. Like we know that you've like put in the t- Well, you've been in the tough. Well, you and you've alluded to it that like look, this has been a really hard year and look as entertainers, like the whole reason this show started was because we were defeated doing what yeah, you're doing. And the fact is is you're still what? fighting the fight. And every single day you're getting back up and like, Mm -hmm. we got to congratulate you because you're, you're still here. You're still alive. And look, I know there's a lot more scars and it hurts a lot with all this stuff, but it's good to get it out. We've been doing it through this show and we hope that you'll come back and tell us way more because we we would love to pick your brain because I think I speak on behalf of all of us and, and they can speak if they feel otherwise, but like you're awesome. And like, we really appreciate how honest you've been with us, how open you've been with us and how much you've cared about this project genuinely, which is something that's so important to anyone listening that if you get somebody who's in a PR, whether you, you, you know, there's a lot of different people. You, I have to make sure someone's representing you that like really knows what really you're doing. Care. And like, there's really no question. Care. There's no question. And we, and we appreciate that on so many levels. Bravo. So thank I you. I appreciate you guys. It's oh, thank talk. you. No, Where to come. <laughs> yeah. Sean, I think, didn't you guys play at APMAs one year? Yeah, we did. Yeah. did. Um, like that was early on for me. It was like probably four years ago or three years ago. Oh. I think even longer. Maybe we longer. did press for all of the HAPMAs. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah, I remember that. I wonder if yeah. you guys will run into each other come in the upcoming touring seasons. Yeah, but, I, ho- I yeah. certainly hope so. But Definitely. And I'd come back anytime, guys. So. Yeah, great. Maria, we'll definitely yeah. keep in check. touch. I mean, so obviously- check out, check out yeah. 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe. Do all those things we always tell you to do, please. Lost uh, chapters Lost one, Symphony. two, and three. Yeah, yep. Corey, you look less fat since you haven't stopped drinking. So, oh. thank you. Oh <laughs> I wanted you to know. Like, I've noticed that you like. I was I like, "What's wrong? Feet. What's wrong with Corey?" I'm like, "Oh, he looks like he's dying." Oh wait, he's just skinny again. I lost. And, and then, yeah, I, 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 everyone, everyone, give everyone a round of applause oh, for, for, for shutting the COVID. I yes. got to keep going though. I want to lose like thirty more. Oh, we believe in you. You can do it. You can definitely do it. <laughs> or you should lose 30 more, too. I think I might die. So mean. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you. <laughs> Christian uh, Bale could do it, Corey. Oh, he could. God. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, you've been 2020. Thank you, Maria. Come back again. Our metal ambassador. Madrid, PR. <laughs> yes. Lost Symphony. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 76, featuring Matthew LaPierre of Three Years Gone and frequent Lost Symphony guest. Check it out. Um, Well, with Lost Symphony in particular, it was one of those things like where there were 
these weird modulations, but having to play at that speed and, you know, trying to be conscious of being tasteful and not just like musical masturbation because, you know, that's a thing. Um, So just kind of thinking more so like, all right, so here's, you know, I have this little shred bit that I want to throw in. This is something I'm happy with, but I want to have something that ties that into the next section and, you know, it make it cohesive enough where it sounds like, oh, this was something he thought about, not just, all right, we press record and uh, went for it. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.